Welcome once again to the Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. Again, coming to you, this is Pastor Trey, um, lead pastor here in Powell Butte, Oregon, uh, lovely central Oregon. Uh, looking out my window at a beautiful spring day, and um, hopefully uh, things are well in your neck of the woods as you uh, listen to this podcast. We are in a series uh, on Sunday mornings in the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and um, we're, we're taking our time, admittedly, uh, but it's good because there's a lot of rich things that we really don't want to skip over. Today is one of those things that I think is really important for us to, to get, because oftentimes I think we get confused by some of the terminology that Christians use, and we even develop opinions about those things, and we really don't know what we're talking about. There, there was a movie a long time ago, back in the 80s, that came out in the late 80s, called Princess Bride. Chances are, you, if you see movies at all, you have seen or you at least know about this movie. It's a, one of the best movies ever made, in my opinion. A wonderful storytelling, great characters. One of the characters is a guy named Inigo Montoya. He's a Spaniard who is a swordsman. And uh, he is part of the troop of bad guys who are who have been um, hired to kidnap the princess, the princess bride. The uh, boss of that band of ne'er-do-wells is a guy named Vicini, and he is a brilliant guy. Uh, his logic is uh, amazing, and, and uh, he knows it, so he's very prideful. And uh, throughout the movie, he will say things like, uh, this is inconceivable that this is happening. But every time he says something is inconceivable, uh, it is actually happening. Uh, like uh, the man in the mask is catching up to them. Well, that's inconceivable. And yet it's happening. And, and so it's pretty apparent that he's using this word, but it's, it's, not, it's not what it, he thinks it means. And Inigo Montoya actually says in, in, a, in his own in, inimitable way, he says, uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. You keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means. You know, it really does irritate me when people use words uh, that they really don't understand what they mean. And uh, I see believers do this. Um, and it's innocent, I know. It's, it's not something that uh, is intentional or nefarious. But, um, you know, we toss around words like sanctification or the elect or grace and we maybe know somewhat of what those things mean, but just not completely understand. Today, I want to challenge our thinking in the same way that Jesus challenged the thinking of the religious culture of his days. You know, last week, we saw Jesus challenging the Pharisees on their ideas of fasting, which had become a tradition that they had clung to and they had risen to the um, status of um, one of the Ten Commandments, really. Well, today, we're actually talking about one of the Ten Commandments, the, the Fourth Commandment, unless you are part of the Lutheran tradition or some of the other high church traditions, then it's the Third um, Commandment. But it's the, the commandment to keep the Sabbath day. I, I want to read this, actually, and I rarely read it from the King James Version, but I like, there's a certain ring to certain passages that just sound better in the King James Version. From Exodus chapter 20, God gives this rule 
this command to his people. He says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. So there it is. Now let me go back to Inigo Montoya. That we began with his quote. You keep using that word. And the word that I want to look at today is the word Sabbath. You keep using that word Sabbath. I do not think it means what you think it means. Well, what I want to do today is I want to actually look at the context of this principle of what the, the people are talking to Jesus about. And we're in Luke chapter 6, so if you want to go there, let, let me read to you the context, um, verses 1 through 11. There are two Sabbaths, actually, that we're looking at here, and Jesus gets into trouble on both of them. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and his disciples began to pick some heads of grain and rub them with their hands and eat the kernels. And some of the Pharisees asked, Why are you doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and taking the consecrated bread, he ate what is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Then Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking and said to the man with the shriveled hand, Get up and stand in front of everyone. So he got up and stood there. And then Jesus said to them, I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? He looked all around at them, and then he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so, and his hand was completely restored. But they were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Wow, well, what an amazing response from good church people. It's actually pretty astonishing. They were furious. They're, they're looking for ways to get rid of Jesus now. If Jesus truly is a righteous teacher, they're thinking. If, if he truly is who he says he is, the Messiah, the, the only begotten Son of God, then why would he break the rules? Could he even break the rules as God's Son? Was he breaking the rules? They thought so. They thought so. But I wonder, was he really truly breaking the rules? You see, to the Pharisees, this particular command, thou shalt Keep the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. That was so important to them that they felt the need to write their own definition of the word work in order to help God out, essentially. Like God had not been clear when he gave that commandment in the Ten Commandments. So they felt like they needed to add to that commandment to, to make sure that we knew what God meant by work. So from the earliest rabbinical writings, there are 39 other subcategories of forbidden acts. By the way, not in the Bible, not in the Old Testament. This is what the rabbis would write to say, okay, well, if God says do no work on the Sabbath day, well, what does what constitutes work? 
Well, here are 39 categories that we say are work. And if you break any one of these, then you are in trouble. And not only are the 39 categories of, of acts banned for you to do, but if you used a tool to help you do any of those tasks, like a, a pen or a hammer, you would be breaking the Sabbath. They, they approach it in a very ticky-tack manner, uh, nitpicking. You can see, as Jesus and the disciples were walking through the grain field, they were breaking at least three of the, the forbidden categories. Uh, there's, there's a category uh, about reaping and um, uh, about uh, harvesting. Well, harvesting and reaping, I guess, are the same thing. Harvesting and, and um, milling and, and all that. So, so at least three of their categories were being broken by Jesus and, and the boys, right? So you can see why they would be upset. And yet Jesus says, um, you're accusing me of breaking the Sabbath. You keep using that word Sabbath. I don't think it means what you think it means. And then he gives an illustration in verses 3 and 4 from an event in the life of one of Jews, the, the Jewish leader's heroes, King David. Uh, there's an incident found in 1 Samuel chapter 21. Uh, I, if you are quick with your Bible, you can go there to 1 Samuel um, 21. Otherwise, I'll just read it for you. Um, here we get in the first six verses this story about what David did there with the bread, the showbread in the tabernacle of God. Chapter 21 of 1 Samuel says, David went to Nob to Ahimelech the priest. Ahimelech trembled when David met him and said, why are you alone? Why is nobody with you? And David answered Ahimelech the priest, the king charged me with a certain matter and said to me, no one is to know anything about your mission and your instructions. As for my men, I have told them to meet me at a certain place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Please give me five loaves of bread, or whatever you can find. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there is some consecrated bread here, the show bread, okay, that was in the tabernacle. There is some consecrated bread here, uh, provided that the men have kept themselves from women. And David replied, Indeed. Women have been kept from us, as usual, whenever I set out. The men's things are holy, even on missions that are not holy. So how much more so today? In other words, he was saying, we're on a holy mission, so we are definitely sanctified and consecrated. So the priest gave David the consecrated bread, since there was no bread there except for the bread of the presence that had been removed from before the Lord and replaced by hot bread on the day that it was taken away. So there you go. Bread that uh, was supposed to be, according to Leviticus 24, sanctified for only the priests. The, the showbread that had been used in the tabernacle. Once it was put out as showbread, then it was to be consumed only by the priests. Uh, God had reserved that for them as a most holy part of their regular share. And, and uh, this bread was given to David. Once Ahimelech, the priest, uh, understood that David had consecrated himself, had gone through the purification rituals uh, necessary to be able to touch what is sacred, he said, sure, it's okay. I'll allow this. Not a problem. So what's the point that Jesus is making in, in bringing up this particular event in the life of King David? Well, I, I think there's actually two points, one that is implied in our passage in Luke 6 and one that is stated specifically very obviously, in, in Luke chapter 6. What is implied is that, you know, all through the Bible, God says, I know that I've given you the sacrificial system, 
but I'd rather you would obey me. I, I don't like the sacrifices. I, I'm not pleased with the sacrifices. I would rather have an obedient heart. So what God says is that, yes, I've given you rituals, but if you have a right relationship with me, you don't necessarily need to go through those rituals. God doesn't want our rituals as much as he wants our hearts. And if there was a legitimate need for David to use that bread so that he could glorify God and help his men fulfill God's purposes, then God says that's fine. Because, because um, relationship trumps rituals. Not, not, not a problem. So that's the implied point that Jesus is making. That, that it's okay. The second point is actually stated there in verse 5 and in verse 9. In verse 5, Jesus says, oh, and by the way, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Son of Man being Jesus' favorite title to claim for himself. He's talking about himself. And he's saying, by the way, I have authority over what happens on the Sabbath because I instituted the Sabbath. I am God. I am the Son of Man. And I am Lord of the Sabbath. And then for more clarification, there in verse 9, he says, let me ask you, which is lawful to do on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save a life or to destroy a life? See, Jesus is claiming the authority to define what the Sabbath is, since he created it. And his intention in creating the Sabbath was not to prevent anybody from doing something good. He says it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's what he gets to define as Lord of the Sabbath. Just like it's lawful to do good on every other day of the week. But you keep using that word Sabbath, Jesus says. I do not think it means what you think it means. They didn't know what it meant. By the way, neither, neither do we. Neither do we. There's a debate that has been raging for almost 2,000 years in, in Christianity. And it all has to do with when is our Sabbath. Well, let me give you a little word study. First of all, literally that word Sabbath, Shabbat, comes from a Hebrew word that either can mean rest or complete or seven. Now, how does the Ten Commandments passage explain it? Let's go back to Exodus chapter 20. Verses 8 through 11. Um, if you look back there, you'll see the commandments. And you'll see that uh, he says, Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath, a Shabbat of the Lord thy God. So there you see seven. Shabbat meaning seven. And then he says, In that day, don't do any work. Uh, don't do any work, which means, there it is, rest. Shabbat means to rest. And then he says, and you do this because in six days, God made the heavens and the earth, sea and all that's in them. But he on their completion, he rested on the seventh day, which is, again, Shabbat. So Shabbat seven, Shabbat rest, Shabbat complete, right? All in one word. So God says, I want you to keep the Sabbath day holy. And on that day, on the seventh day, I want you to rest and I want you to complete the labor that you have done for this week. Now, but that's not what people think about the Sabbath anymore. Not really. Not, not in Christian circles that I know of, at least. The, the complications in their mind comes when uh, we use the term, keep it holy. To remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Why? Well, because to us, that word holy has come to mean something sacred. For us, it's natural then, because it means something sacred, 
to, to say then, to wonder, well, what day is sacred? What day then are we supposed to be holy? What, what day are we supposed to go to church? That's the bottom line. Some people will say, well, you go to church on Sunday. And some people say, well, no, you go to church on Saturday. So which one is it? Are, are we supposed to worship on Saturday or on Sunday? Think about that real, real quickly. Are we supposed to worship God on Saturday or Sunday? The answer is yes, <laughs> of course. In fact, we are to worship God on every day that ends with a Y. Think about that. Every day that ends with a Y, we are called to worship him. If you go back and look at the command in Exodus chapter 20, nowhere, nowhere does God say, worship me on the Sabbath. That, wasn't the, that was not the purpose for the Sabbath day. See, God wanted the Jews to worship him every day. In fact, you can imagine what kind of problems arise when you only worship God one day, when you limit your worship to one day, or maybe even just one hour of that day, or an hour and 15 if you come to Palgate Christian Church. But folks, worshiping is not the purpose of the Sabbath, uh, no more than it's the purpose of every day. So what does the phrase keeping it holy mean? Um, it means, quite literally, keep it separated. Keep it separated from the other days. It has a different purpose. It has been set apart for a different purpose. Now, can holy mean sacred? Sure. But it doesn't have to mean only that. See, God meant for the Sabbath to be different in what we do on that day. And it's right there in the command in Exodus chapter 20. What's different? Well, he says, you work six days and you rest one. That's the difference. It's, it's what you're doing. You work six days, you rest one. That one day is to be separate, look different from the rest of the week. It's not like the other six days where you work. It's the one day where you rest. It's that purpose that God gave us the Sabbath. And it's so important to understand this. By the way, on a biblical note, if you look at the book of Acts, uh, an account of the early church, we find that the early church believers, they would gather every day at the temple courts and from house to house. They didn't just worship on the Sabbath, nor did they only worship on what became known as the Lord's Day, which is Sunday. Uh, that was a tradition that they began to embrace so that they could commemorate Jesus rising from the dead as the first fruits. It was the first day of the week. He was the first one who was risen from the dead uh, with God's power in, in him. And so in commemoration, they would remember a very special day, that Lord's Day. They would call it the Lord's Day. But that wasn't the only day they worshipped either. They, so they didn't only worship on the Sabbath. They didn't only worship on the Lord's Day. They didn't only worship on Saturday. They didn't only worship on Sunday. Okay? They worshipped every day. So on a biblical note, <laughs> that, that kind of blows that whole argument of, well, what day is the, the right day for us to go to church, Saturday or Sunday? It, that doesn't matter. These guys went to church every day. Now, on a historic note, it wasn't until Constantine, the, the Roman emperor, came to power in AD 313 that the Sabbath day was legally changed, legally changed from Saturday to Sunday. Constantine had become a believer and he wanted to bring Christianity to the pagan world. And so he was trying to connect it with certain pagan practices. And, and uh, he had grown up as a sun worshiper. And Sunday, the first day, was dedicated to the sun god. And so he said, you know, it'd be a whole lot easier to bring pagans into Christianity if we kind of uh, 
I gave them some of the things that they were more familiar with. So he changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. And that Sunday law then was officially confirmed by the Papal Council of Laodicea in AD 364, almost, uh, you know, almost well, I think 51 years later. That, that Papal Council decreed that Christians shall not act like Jews. They shall not be idle on Saturday. They shall work on Saturday. But on the Lord's Day, again, Sunday, they shall especially honor and do no work on that day. And if they do, if they are found to act like the Jews, they shall be shut out from Christ, kicked out of the church. Wow. And you wonder why Jews don't realize that they are so connected to Christianity even today. And a lot of Christians don't realize how close Jews and, and Gentiles really are, um, Jews and, and Christians. You know, we share a common heritage and an ancestry. And uh, the Jews made up the, the entire first century church for, for the first several years. I mean, there, there, was a, there was a church in Jerusalem, and it was made up of only Jews, and they were Christian Jews. But it was around this time where we kind of shut the Jews out and said, no, um, we don't like you guys. And, and the anti-Semitism uh, reared its ugly head. And uh, today we still suffer for that. We wanted to change. And we said, if you're acting like a Jew, you're going to be shut out from the church. See, it's why do I bring this up? Well, it's important to understand because none of that was God's heart. Okay, Jesus is doing for his disciples here in Luke 6 what I would like us to understand. I want us to go back to the heart of God. What's the heart of God? Well, first of all, Jesus has authority over the purpose of the Sabbath. Jesus would go on to say that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath was not intended to be an extra burden added to God's people. Nor was it even the day that God wanted us to go to church. Although that if we do go to church on the Sabbath, that's not breaking the law. Or if we don't go to church on the Sabbath, we're not breaking the law. Okay. What, this, what God's heart is, is that the Sabbath would be both a gift to us and a reminder to us. A gift and a reminder. A gift in, the, in that God knew us to be a people who, when left to our own vices, we would, for whatever reason, be it anxiety or greed or the, uh, the desire to get ahead in life, we would, left to our own vices, we would work ourselves to death. We wouldn't take breaks. Okay? And so as, as a gift, he goes, hey, listen, I want you to be healthy. So I want you. I'm going to command that you take a break, a break, okay? Because I don't want you to work yourself to death. And it's number two, it's a reminder. It's a reminder for us about two things that are really important for God, to God in, in his estimation. It's a reminder of the importance of work and having a good work ethic and the importance of rest and, and the importance of being able to take care of ourselves. In other words, in the words of the American culture in the early 80s, when I was in, in school, give it a break, will you? Give it a break. So the, the remainder of today's study is going to focus on two practical repercussions of Jesus's heart about the, the Sabbath there in Luke 6. First of all, <clears throat> I want to talk about work ethic. <clears throat> this is not brought up in churches anymore because, well, we don't want to offend anybody. But if you read God's word, God wants his people to have a certain work ethic. 
There's no getting around the fact that the fourth command includes actually the term, for six days shalt thou labor. It's not just about rest. It's, it's about working for six days with all your heart. Now, some of us get the rest part down really good. Hey, I get a day off. And it's the six days of labor that actually trips us up. Some people think, man, work is horrible. Work is bad. Work was part of the curse that, that God put on Adam when Adam sinned. I would say, no, not so, little Joe. Because even before Adam sinned, God had given him a job. He was given the responsibility of working the garden, tending the garden, before sin came into the picture. The curse wasn't that, Adam, you're going to have to work now. No, it was now, Adam, when you work, it will be hard. And sometimes it will be unfruitful. See, you and I were created to work. We were created to be productive, to actually matter to the life of this world. We matter to history. We've been called to care for the resources that God has provided for us here on earth. Now, some people who have had their work taken away from them, they have a hard time understanding that they matter, that they mean something. So people would say, oh, we don't want to be mean and make people work. Um, you know, that just seems so mean. But you know what? It's actually mean to take their ability to work away from them. Why? Because you take work away from somebody, and now they're no longer an integral part of anything bigger than themselves. They don't have to be uh, some, some, you know, a productive member at all. They don't have to feel like they're productive. And they tend to then feel like they're just a dependent, um, a parasite, a leech, a mooch. I'm not calling them that, but they begin to feel that way. They, they really do because they don't feel like they have anything to contribute if they're not working. You know, I've watched people who have retired from their careers and they're later on in life, you know, they're, they're up there in, in age. And the ones who don't stay active involved and involved, they kind of shrivel up. There is no purpose for them anymore. It's the ones who stay active and working in some capacity, uh, the ones who stay uh, participants in life, those are the ones who tend to thrive uh, well into their 80s and 90s and e even beyond that. The Bible is very clear about our work ethic. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Ecclesiastes 2.24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. And this too, I see, is from the hand of God. Ephesians 4.28, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands. 1 Timothy 5.8, anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith, and is worse than an unbeliever. 2 Thessalonians 3.10-12, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Um, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. See, yeah, God has indeed set up benevolent systems by which those who cannot support themselves can receive help from God's people in very practical ways. God understands that there are certain circumstances where you cannot work. He told us to care for the widow and the orphan and to lift up the oppressed. But for those who can work, God says you need to work. By, by the way, what Jesus and the disciples were doing by going in and picking the grain, that was actually one of God's um, welfare laws. Okay, uh, That was encouraged. That was not something they, they weren't stealing. It was called the law of gleaning. 
where people who owned fields were called not to be stingy, but to allow hungry travelers to be able to gather a small portion of crop as they journeyed through, not hoarding it and throwing it into the back of a U-Haul, but, you know, putting things into their hands and whatever they could pick and, and take with them, they, they could. See, when if you had a field and you harvested your field, invariably there would always be places you missed, the corners, uh, maybe some stubborn stalks that didn't get harvested. And God says, listen, in those places, don't go back and, and, and do a second reaping. Leave those alone. Let those be for the people who are traveling through who can then do work on their own to pick those things and feed themselves. It was like in the words of our benevolent program here at Powell Butte Christian Church, Project Love, it was a hand, it was not a handout, but it was a hand up. But even with that law of gleaning, we can't skip over the fact that God calls us, if we have the ability to be good at work, to have a high work ethic. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, no matter what you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we can't skip over the fact that God calls us to a high work ethic, but we also cannot skip over the fact that God has ordained us to also have a high rest ethic, if you will, to take a rest on a regular basis. Yes, we work six days, but you got to set apart the seventh day to rest. God has ordained rejuvenation for mankind. Now, and I know that that even can sound a little bit counter-biblical, because we know that Jesus calls us to serve other people, right? But even in the commands to serve other people, there's an encouragement to something that we should understand, and that is self-care. Self-care. Now, what does self-care mean? Well, for instance, in, in the passage where Paul is writing to the Ephesian church, instructing husbands and wives to submit to one another's needs, he gives this command in chapter 5. He says, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church. So in this passage, Paul is making the concession that we do tend to take care of our bodies. In other passages, we are called to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. See, God's design was for us to be able to take care of ourselves, for us to love ourselves, to not in a, an arrogant way, but in a way that we are taking care of ourselves, that we, that we care about our bodies, that our bodies are a temple, right? And that we are um, treating them with respect. Uh, I'll tell you from experience that when you overwork yourself, that's the opposite of loving yourself. That's the opposite of caring for your health. I heard one time somebody say, you will take a Sabbath. <laughs> Either it's going to be your choice or it won't, <laughs> but you will, you will take a Sabbath. In, in other words, if you don't take time for yourself, your body's going to break down and you'll be forced to take a timeout. And usually that Sabbath will be longer than what you ever intended it to be. Why? Because we need rest. We cannot continue on a seven-day boom, 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 boom schedule until, you know, for, forever, until we, we die. Because we'll do that until we die, but we'll die really early. A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Scott, our associate pastor, mentioned the principle of sharpening the saw. And that, that's a, a law, a principle where the purpose we understand of a saw is to cut. But if you continue to just cut and cut and cut and cut with that power saw, without taking a break to 
actually sharpen the saw to let the motor um, cool down, to, to make the, the, the blades of the saw sharper, then if you don't do that, the, the saw will become ineffective and broken. It, it's only by taking a break every now and then to resharpen that saw, to let the motor cool down, that we can actually see the saw, see the saw, <laughs> uh, do what it was created to do. I, I've told our elders here at Powell Butte um, the importance of taking sabbaticals. Uh, we, we'd had men in leadership uh, for decades without taking any kind of break at all. And I told them, guys, you are way better in leadership for our congregation when you take some time off than when you just go and go and go and never taking a break. You know, God says the same thing to us. He has a purpose for our lives. And it is, yes, a, a purpose that goes beyond our own little K kingdom. So it's it's really important because we're working towards his big K kingdom, right? So we think, well, man, I just got to keep going and going and going. But God knows that we will be the most effective in building that kingdom when we have taken time out for our own health, physically, emotionally, intellectually, and spiritually. The command from Mark, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. Folks, the way to do that, to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength is to make sure that your heart and soul and mind and strength are operating at full capacity and at healthy levels. The saw will only stay effective when you do the regularly scheduled maintenance on the saw. Whatever you do, Paul says, do it all for the glory of God. In other words, you know, it's all God's anyway. Your worship life is God's. Your work life is God's. Your family life is God's. Your social life is God's. Your leisure life is God's. All of those things God can use, but they are to be honed for his glory. And so we need to understand that we need to use them in the right way for the best results, which means that occasionally for self-care, we need to take a break. God says, why don't you do that on a regular basis? You have one week. Why don't you work as much as you can and then take a day off? You work as much as much as you can and then take a day off. And then work as much as you can, and then take a day off and get into that kind of rhythm. I, I pray as the pastor of this church that my people would be ones who would understand the, the, the practice of hard work, the integrity of hard work, of having a good work ethic, but also of the practice of rest, self-care, um, a good rest ethic, if you will. Because God gave us the supernatural design for a natural rhythm. God wants to partner with us. And he says, but I need you to be on, on, on your best game. I need you to be on your best game. So he's given us the best prescription to have our best game. So in conclusion, let me just ask, how do you rest? How do you rest? What is it that you can do in your life to bring rest and rejuvenation to your body and your mind and your soul. Resting, by the way, doesn't automatically mean just sitting there, okay? That you just do nothing. For some people, hiking is restful. For some people, playing disc golf with their good buddy is restful. For some of us, going to the movies is restful. For some of us, it's like working on a project in your she shed or your man cave is restful. Quilting can be very godly. Playing cards with friends can be very godly. For my dad, as I was growing up, when he would go out on his day off and he would work on the lawn, mowing and weeding, 
for him, that was godly. <laughs> that was all done on his day off, believe it or not. I, I looked at him and go, man, you are, that's sick. Because <laughs> that's not rest for me, but it was rest for him. So guys, it's time to understand that word Sabbath, to know what God means when he says, take a Sabbath, what he means from his heart, because he cares about us. He cares about our health. Our bodies are his temple. And so we're called to do what we can to be as useful as we can be. Which brings me to one last thing. And I promise this is the last thing. In our culture, we have the luxury of typically getting two days a week where we don't have to go to work. Now, I know that that's not true for everybody, but it tends to be a rule of thumb for the most, pe most people in America. That means many Americans get a weekend. And typically, again, typically, typically it's Saturday and Sunday. Well, if that's true for you, if you do get a Saturday and a Sunday off, then when you begin to see that you have a choice between Saturday or Sunday in taking your rest, uh, if you are choosing between Saturday and Sunday by being involved in the rejuvenating activities, and you got either Saturday to do it or Sunday to do it, I would just want you to ask yourself, if one of those days, Saturday or Sunday, is a day where your fellow brothers and sisters in Jesus have made it a point to gather together at church, to worship, to pray, to listen to God's word preached, and one day is not, which day would probably be the most beneficial, the wisest day to take as your day of rest, to, to go out hiking or playing disc golf or going to see a movie? Would it be would it be the day that nothing else is going on or would it be the day that everybody's gathering together in corporate worship? I'm just saying, right? I'm just saying. Because the gathering of God's people is intended to bring us rest as well. Okay? It's not to be a burden. It's not another thing to just check off our list. The, the purpose is to gain encouragement and strength and inspiration. So if you are choosing to use Sunday as your day to go out and rest and not be in church, I don't think that that's necessarily what God's heart is either. Again, it's my opinion. And of course, opinion is coming from a preacher who loves to see people come and gather together on a Sunday morning. But anyways, I, I just wanted to I just wanted to say, listen, God calls us to lend our voice and our presence to the work of, of, of his kingdom. We're not called to be Lone Ranger Christians, but to be a, a vital part of the body. Rest is important and worship, corporate worship is important as well. And so I pray that uh, God gives you wisdom as you make the decision to say, well, on my weekend, which day am I going to take to rest? for myself, and which day am I going to actually be together with God's people? All right, well, that's about all I needed to say. Um, I wanted to thank all the people again that to make this podcast possible. That's Steve Pittman, who uh, makes sure all of our um, uh, technologies is working here at the church. Uh, Lisa Welly, who does all the legwork after I'm done. She's my executive producer in getting these uh, recordings up on our podcast um, and reminding me when we didn't do a, a, a recording of a Sunday morning service and things like that. So uh, she keeps me on task and I appreciate both of those people and, and their help. I also thank you for tuning in. Uh, I get uh, some, some correspondence from people uh, thanking me for providing these messages online. It's um, my privilege to be used uh, by God in, in that way. 
May God bless you, and may this week be uh, just a stellar week of living for Him.